Welcome to the Word of Faith Sermon Podcast with Pastor Hagen Lister. Join in with us today, ready to grow in your knowledge of the Bible with practical application for your everyday life. If you're interested in following or learning more, join us on our Facebook page at WOFTX or check out our website at WOFTX.com for location and service times. Now here's Pastor Hagen with today's message. We started a message, it's just really simple, why do we go to church, <laughs> amen? Or, uh, and I understand the theological, uh, state, that theological statement may or may not be accurate, meaning go to church because, I mean, you know, we are the church, right? But for lack of a better way to say it, I'm, I'm asking the question and, and trying to make, help you to ask maybe some questions to yourself as to why... Um, you go to church, or we could say it other ways. Why do you, why do you gather together as a church? Why do we gather together as church? Um, even more simply, why are we here this morning? What's the point? Why, why, why do you think that you're here this morning? Because we'd probably all have some of the same answers, but probably have a lot of different answers too. And a lot of our answers would probably have to be based on the way we were raised, or maybe the way we weren't raised, or whatever. Um, But if you ask somebody that question, and they were really, really honest about why they were here this morning, again, we may have a lot of different uh, answers outside of the the normal uh, answers that that most everybody would probably give, or or what answers people probably think that you want to hear. But what's the purpose this morning? What's the benefits this morning? Maybe some people even ask, do I even have to be here? Like, do I have to be here? And of course, as a guy, and, and I've been around a bunch of guys and stuff, and, and I've known guys that, that I feel like they probably were very close to the Lord, um, but, um, and, the, and I felt like they really loved the Lord. Gotta go. We need to pray. Okay, all right. Um, I don't know a whole lot, but I do know that Miss Jenny Blunt um, has had some issues starting, I guess, yesterday, maybe the last couple of days. So this morning, her blood pressure was like through the roof, and um, or like maybe last night. I'm I'm not I'm I'm not as I don't have a lot of specifics, but maybe some mild um, stroke effects and things like that. So let's just let's just pray for her right now. They're running some tests this morning, so let's just pray for her right now. Father, we thank you. We praise you, we magnify you, Lord, just as we were singing um, a, a second ago about healing being here. I thank you, Lord, that healing is there because you are there. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of Miss Jenny. And Lord, we thank you, Father, right now that the, the greater one lives on the inside of her. Greater is, are you, Lord, than he that is in the world. You're greater than sickness. You're greater than any kind of disease. Whatever is going on, Lord, we don't know, but you know exactly what's going on. So, Father, we thank you that the Holy Spirit living on the inside of her, you said, is able to quicken her mortal body. So I thank you, Lord, the Holy Spirit, quicken her body in Jesus' name. Whatever is going on, we stand against it. We stand against the attack of the enemy, and we thank you, Father, for health and healing in her life, in her body, in Jesus' name. And, Lord, no matter what uh, the uh, outcome of whatever is going on, whatever diagnosis, whatever is being said right now, Lord, we don't want to jump to conclusions, but, Lord, we stand with her. We stand with her husband, Lord. We stand with her family, and as her church family, Lord, we declare that she is the healed of the Lord in Jesus' name. There will be no adverse effects to whatever is going on, but, Lord, total and complete health and healing in Jesus' name. Amen. I can end my message right now. That's why we're here. 
That's why we're connected. As I was saying, do we have to be here? Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I've known guys that said, well, I can find God on a deer stand. Well, that's a no-brainer. I can, find, I can find God here. I can find God there. Absolutely, because God's everywhere. And God wants to be with you everywhere, no matter where you're at. But most of the time, that statement is a cop-out because they have maybe had some bad experiences. Maybe they don't like organization. They, they kind of just want to do their own thing. And I'm not just speaking towards men because uh, I'm just speaking from experience as being a man and, and having those same feelings. And a lot of times, that's what you get. Do I, do I have to be here? I even ran into a man one time that, that I was um, technically his pastor, and uh, he didn't like the way I was doing some things, and, and so we, we had a talk and, and uh, just, just form, format stuff. It wasn't anything, um, but he was, he was very upset with me, and the more he talked about the things he was upset with, the, I could see his face kind of dropping, and he was kind of mentally assenting to what he was saying, and he was like, um, and he even admitted to me, he said, even though... I'm sitting here telling you right now everything that I'm upset about. He said, I understand that the things that I'm upset about are silly, and, uh, but I just can't help it. I'm, just, I'm, I'm still just mad. And so I had an opportunity to pastor him where I felt like he probably wasn't allowing me to be his pastor. And I told him that. And I said, I don't know that for whatever reason um, that uh, you're, not, you don't want, you're not allowing me to pastor you. And that's fine. Everybody uh, you know, has that right. And I don't believe that. I'm, I'm not so arrogant to believe that I'm supposed to pastor everybody. I said, but you do need to find somebody that will pastor you. And he quickly told me that he didn't need a pastor because he pastors himself. And I said, well, I'm a pastor myself, and I don't even pastor myself. Um, I have men in my life, and I have, uh, whether they know who I am or not, and then also men that I'm very acquainted with that have the right that I have given them to speak into my life if they see something going on. And, um, and so I don't even pastor myself, and, and I, I tried to be very nice about it, but I did tell him, I was like, I don't think you're thinking right on that. And so some people do try to pastor themselves, and they think that they're more spiritual than any person that they've ever ran into, and that may be true, um, but that's also super arrogant, and um, even if you know more than somebody doesn't mean that you can't learn something from that person that you didn't know before. Amen? And it's not really necessarily about the person. It's about the office that they've been gifted to be in. And, uh, and so anyway, um, you know, people ask those questions, do I, do I have to be here? No, I don't even, technically, I don't guess you have to be here. Um, do I need to attend and be connected to the church as a local organization? You know, those are some of the things that, that we probably ought to, if we haven't been asking ourselves, ask those and solidify those and bring those into prayer and bring those into the word of God. Um, is it really important uh, that we participate in church programs and in serving in the church? I'm just asking questions because I want to get into the word and I want to maybe help answer these questions because these seem to be the questions that we um, take it upon ourselves to self-govern in those. And I'm all for that is as long as when you are self-governing, uh, that you are self-governing uh, based on the truths and the word of God and not just how you feel, think, or your opinion. Well, it was quiet. Well, I just, I do things the way I do things for God. Well, um, we do have freedom of religion here in America. 
But in heaven, it's not a democracy. He's a king. Amen? And in his infinite wisdom, he has given us this so that we can take this to self-govern govern, and not our own thoughts, feelings, and opinions. Because this, more times than not, will be against and want to override your thoughts, feelings, and opinions. And I'm not talking about the, the theology or the doctrine or the bylaws of a local church. I'm talking about the Word of God, because even sometimes the, the theology and the bylaws of a local church are actually against this. I've found that out to be sometimes. And so we have to understand that, um, that, no, you don't have to, but we get to. And when you start to understand why and the purpose of why we're doing what we're doing here this morning, I think that it makes it a whole lot easier and you won't even ask those questions anymore. You won't even be like, do I have to be here? Do I have to participate? Do I have to serve? Is God happy with me or not happy if, with me if I do that? And I really believe, and if it's okay if I just talk candidly today, I really believe that a lot of those things get implanted in us uh, as we go along, depending on uh, where you were raised and how you were raised, because, and I'm just gonna be very, very blunt and honest with you this morning, and I, I'm, I'm not one of these guys that, that tries to protect different things, but I'm gonna be honest with you today. The word of God and the pulpit and the local church and positions as pastors and maybe deacons and board members and all these things, and I'm not necessarily talking about here all the way. I mean, it's always possible because there's humans involved, but I'm saying over the years and and and, and you know, if you don't believe me, just think back that men have used um, their own thoughts, of, uh, feelings, and opinions to push their own pet peeves to the church and call it God. Right. Call it church. Call it religion. And they've used the word of God to manipulate people when they're... Mm, I'm trying to choose my words carefully. I'll use myself as an example. Years ago, when I was a worship leader, and that's, I was, you know, I wasn't a pastor yet. Um, if the crowd or the people did not respond to the music the way I thought they should, I got angry. Now, I could call it holy anger or whatever pastors get up in the pulpit and say that righteous indignation or whatever. No, you're mad because you did something and people didn't applaud you. I told you I was gonna be honest this morning. And so, should we have excellence? Absolutely. Should we not be cold towards the presence of God? Absolutely. But is that my responsibility to make you and push you to somehow stroke my ego to tell me I'm, I did good this morning? Absolutely not. If you don't say amen one time this morning, I'm not gonna get mad. And it's a good thing, because y'all are lacking in that department. <laughs> Just saying, y'all prepared me well. Every time I preached in this pulpit, it was dead quiet. And then I went out and preached, and I, I got in places where people amen, and they were a little bit more loose, you know, they're, you know, whatever. And 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 I thought, well, I can preach anywhere, right? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm just messing with you. But you know, you're quiet, right? That's no secret. You know, you're stoic. That's no secret, right? You know, you know, you're stiff as cardboard. That's no secret, right? I remember I've, I've, gotten, I've gotten done before, and, and like I said, I've, I've 
I've gotten over this because it was a character flaw. And I think it's a character flaw in a lot of people that get in the pulpit because they need that. They need that reassurance. And it's, it's nice to have feedback, don't get me wrong. But it actually plays on whether or not they think they are good or not. And I had to reconcile years ago and go, it don't matter. It doesn't matter. What, what matters is if I went out there and did what God called me to do. And what matters is, is if, I, if there were moments and times uh, where I was ministering and preaching that, that uh, I, I was doing what, and saying and doing what God told me to do. But if I go back and the Lord deals with me on things, it, it, what matters is, is do I, do I make those necessary adjustments not to do that anymore? And, and you guys may not realize I do this, but I do it. I, I, I go back and I listen to myself, not out of arrogance, but I go back and listen. And then not only that, when I leave here, I've learned to distinguish because it's, there's, there's two voices that happen when I leave here. And sometimes three, but the, but the main two is when you leave here sometimes and you really have spoken to something that is a stronghold of the enemy in a church or in a person's life, when you walk out of here, the enemy will immediately attack you and tell you how horrible that was and nobody liked that and blah, 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 and just beat you down and beat you down. There's another voice of the Lord, uh, and, the, and the voice of the Lord will encourage you, but also the voice of the Lord might say, hey, you know, I think you stepped out uh, of, of love right there. I think you might have stepped out, uh, out of my anointing right there, and, and you began to say some things that you think and, the, and some of your opinion, and we don't need to do that anymore. And so I take those, and sometimes there's a third voice, and that third voice is you. Uh, and, and, and sometimes when you walk out of here, the third voice says, uh, you did a really good job, and other times you walk out of here and, and people say, that was too long, and I didn't like that at, at whatsoever. So there's, there's different voices that happen, but what I've learned to do is, is, is be humble and, and I'll go back and listen to myself and I'll go back and I'll, I'll, I'll listen to the Holy Spirit and I'll go back and listen and, and I, what I'm listening for is things not to do again. Don't do that. Don't say that. That didn't come across uh, the way you, you thought it was gonna come across. That, and, and so I'll listen as if, as if I'm one of you. And, and I do that and I'm, I remember there was a story about a guy who uh, his church wasn't growing or anything like that, and, and, uh, and he was getting really frustrated, so he went to this minister whose, whose church was growing and doing good, and he was a trusted minister, and he asked the minister, he said, I just don't, I just don't get it. I don't, I don't see, um, you know, I, I, you're growing and I'm not growing, and you know, this, that, and the other, and, and the guy said, well, he said, what have you been preaching lately? So he told him what he'd been preaching. He said, he said well, um, what do you think about your preaching? How, like, if you go back and listen to yourself, what do you think about it? He goes, oh, God. I can't stand to listen to myself. He said, well, if you can't stand to listen to yourself, what makes you think anybody else can? And granted, it is hard to do when you first, when you first start doing it. But we've got to be honest. I'll give you some examples because we're gonna read some of these scriptures today. What scripture comes out when the church service is low? The Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We're gonna read that one this morning. What other one comes out? Well, we're two or more gathered. <laughs> right? And people use stuff like that. They use scriptures like that to guilt trip people into coming to church. The problem is you're talking to the people that are there. <laughs> Can I be honest this morning? Is this okay? You say, why are you doing all this? Because I don't want you coming. I don't want to come out of some kind of religious thing of where I've been guilted this way and guilted that way. I want there to be so much freedom in here that we can actually be who God has called us to be and do what God has called us to do. Amen? Amen. And the only way we can do that is if we're honest. So, 
Um, the local church shouldn't be about consumption only uh, for you as an individual. It should also be about connection. And I, I wrote this as I was in prayer. And, and think about it. Think about it if it's not true. Consumers, and you know what consumers are, right? When we go to Walmart, we're just consumers. And, and I'm not trying to be ugly, but if you were honest and you had to stand up here and, and give your honest opinion, I don't care one ounce about Walmart. I want to get in there and get what I need and get out. And hopefully not run into anybody crazy. That's all I want to do. My wife, she's bypassed that. She only orders online. If you set her in a Walmart and you walk her in, she looks like a lost child. She hadn't been to Walmart in so long, she just looks around and goes. And halfway through the time where we're getting our stuff, she goes, I, 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 I know now why I chose years ago just to order online. And it's just, you know, anyway, I'm getting into weird stuff. But you're a consumer. You just get in and get what you need and get out. You don't care whether it rises or falls. And the reason why is because if, if Walmart was to go down, it might be somewhat inconvenient. But somebody else would be there to provide us with what we need at some point. We're a consumer. I don't care whether the big wigs at Walmart make another dime or not. And can I be honest? Do you? He said, I pray for the leadership at Walmart every single day. No, you don't. You, don't. you ain't never thought about them. Except for when they raise milk to over $5 a gallon. Right? And then you're not proclaiming blessings over their life. But consumers, people who that are consumers only, are never connected. They come and go. They get what they need. No matter what that is, sometimes what I found out, sometimes it's just a need to ease a guilty conscience because they haven't, they know they haven't been doing right. Oh, God, I'll, I'll go to church for you and maybe you'll be happy with me. Kind of pay a religious penance, if you will. But this type of relationship with the local church is dead and empty. If you have that type of relationship with the local church, it's really dead and it's empty. It'll never truly provide the vital connection that you need as a believer to the church. Amen. Let's go over to Hebrews, uh, the 10th chapter. Hebrews 10. And um, let's, uh, let's go to verse 19. Read 19 through 25. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, through his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. 
And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So as we said last week, worship as we know it, what we just did, which I know that's not the sum total of worship, but worship as we know it uh, was really a, a foreign uh, thing to, uh, to Old Testament saints. It was, it was very foreign to them. Uh, worship to them, and this is very shortened uh, last week. If you didn't hear last week's message, you can go back and it was a little bit more lengthened. But worship to them was um, basically complete and total devotion to obeying the rules, the rituals, and the regulations. That was true worship to them. Uh, it was that I just have to obey God. I have to be perfect in the law. And when I'm not perfect in the law, then I have to bring an offering to the priest, and the priests have to make a sacrifice for me to cover where I wasn't perfect in the law. I have to obey all the rituals. I have to obey all the rules. I have to obey all the, all the festivals. That's where Jesus began to change the game for them. If you notice, Jesus was always doing things that to them was him not being a devout worshiper of God, the one true God. He would do these different things on days where they weren't, the rule did say they weren't supposed to do that. But what Jesus was doing was he was helping to transition uh, uh, the kingdom of God from rules and regulations and, and, and all of these things that were going on in the old covenant that, that helped sustain their life into a place where Jesus was going to pay for every sin and pay for every mistake and pay for every misstep so that they could have a real relationship with God through the veil, through the blood of Jesus, through the torn flesh of Jesus, so that they would, it's not that God doesn't want us to, to do the right thing, but doing the right thing from a different place. See, if you're going to do the right thing from a place of fear, then it's, it's really ritualistic, it's religious, and I'm not gonna have a very good relationship with somebody other than that guy right there will cream you if you're not perfect. And God didn't want that relationship with his man. He just had to have that relationship with men uh, of the earth because of what men did. But when Jesus came, he gave us the opportunity in between the day that Jesus died and the day that Jesus returns for us. He gave us the opportunity to be covered in his blood, to have a right standing with God, even in our imperfection, so that we can have a relationship with him and not a ritualistic type rule regulated thing. So it's not about, oh, we can do whatever we want to do now. It's about the fact that we're living for God from a different place. We're not living for God out of some kind of fear of being, uh, of being annihilated by the presence of God because of the, the fact that we don't have the right sacrifice. But Jesus Christ has sacrificed one time for all, for everything. And if we're covered under the blood of Jesus, our mistakes are covered. And as it says his grace and his mercy is pointed towards our life. And we're going to read some more about that here in a minute. And that shouldn't want, uh, want to make us, because religious people say, well, you know, if you just tell people that, you know, you kind of have to keep them in line. And, and you got to keep them kind of half scared. Um, well, that ain't working so far. When you scare somebody into serving you, they find workarounds. They serve you Technically, not relationally. Let me give you a prime example. We 
technically are ruled and we serve the American government. You can say whatever you want to say. We technically serve them. We don't relationally serve them because not one of us has a good relationship with the American government (laughs) unless you get paid by them. And when you technically serve, you're not giving them anything that they don't make you give legally. Amen? How many of you have just overpaid on your taxes on purpose and said, no, 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 y'all keep that? No. Most people, especially smart people with a lot of money, they're trying to figure out, how can I find a workaround where I don't have to pay them? That's why most of y'all got llamas out in your backyard. Livestock tax. Goats and stuff. You don't like them goats and chickens that much. You just try not to pay Uncle Sam. I'm, uh, whatever you want to do. But that's not a good relationship, is it? And that's fine for the government, but it's not fine for Jesus. We do not serve Jesus from a technical standpoint. Because of what he did for us, he wants us to have a relationship. So it's, it, it just stop with all the technically, can I be this and still go to heaven? Technically, can I do this and still go to heaven? Technically, back up and invite Jesus Christ into your heart and have a relationship with him. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, Jesus provided a new and living way a new and living way to the Father through the tearing of his flesh that allows us to step beyond the veil. Catch this. What is the veil? The veil, when when he wrote this, he would know that everybody that was reading that would understand that the veil was this big, huge piece of material in the Holy of Holies that before Jesus came, the priests would get to experience the presence of God, but they had to, be, had to be extremely perfect. I mean, all the way perfect in the way they approached that. They had to be cleansed and they had to do all these different rituals to, go, to be able to go in there because the blood of Jesus had not yet been, been, been poured out. So they go in there with the, with the uh, blood of animals and they, they go in there and they, they apply all this stuff and they have to be ex- extremely perfect. But it says when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn. The veil was something that separated the natural from the spiritual. And when his flesh was torn and he died on the cross, it it, it tore the veil between the natural and the spiritual. And that's what uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. It says, he provided a new and living way to the Father through the tearing of his flesh that allows us to step beyond the veil that separates the natural from the spiritual. So this is available to us as individual believers, but it's also increased when we gather together with one heart and one purpose to love God and to love each other in the church. So we can do this individually. So it's not something that, yes, you can, you can go and experience God. I've had some wonderful experiences by myself. Sometimes 
better experiences by myself because I only have to contend with one heart. All I have to do is worry about my heart and where my heart is at, get in the presence of God and begin to fellowship with God. Sometimes when you're in church, you have lots of different people going a lot of different directions in their mind and in their heart. And that's why we come together and we do praise and worship to try to get us going one direction. Why? Because God loves unity. What does that unity need to be focused on? First of all, it needs to be focused on worshiping him, magnifying him, glorifying him, and then loving each other. That's really the only two ingredients to having the presence of God in a place. Is this okay? Matthew 18, 20 says this, for two or more or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. I am there. But what's the prerequisite? The prerequisite is, is that we're gathered together in what? In his name. Not gathered together in the church's name, in word of faith's name. Not gathered together to see what that preacher's going to say today. Not gathered together to see what my kids are going to get in the children's department today, in the nursery today, or, or, or any of those things. All those things are, are byproducts of, 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 of trying to minister to people, and they're all good, and they're all fine, but we don't gather in this place together because of programs, and we don't gather in this place together because of a name. We don't gather in this place together uh, because of a, of a man or, or, or men or anything else. But Jesus says when two or three, just two or three, are gathered together in my name, I am there. And I don't know about you, but I don't, wanna, I don't want one service where we come in here and it's just you and me. I love you, but I could think of a lot better things to do if we're just going to come in here and it's just you and me. What makes you and me good is when it's you, me, and him. Amen? That's what makes it good. When it's you, me, and him. The connecting point for us needs to be him. Needs to be what he's done for us, what he'll do for others. Needs to be what he wants to do in us and through us. But it's got to be you, me, and him. I think a lot of churches get into fussing and fighting and all these different things because it's, it has it slowly dwindled down to it's just me and you. And he has left the building. Because it's got to be, it can't just be me and you. Let's be honest. If it was just me and you, I wouldn't know nor associate with a lot of you. Not because I don't like you. We would have never met. He is what connects us. Amen? That's why the, the, the church is such a wonderful place because we're not connected on hobbies. And we're not connected on age, and we're not connected on style, and we're not connected on those things. Now, a lot of churches try to build churches based on that, and it'll, li it'll outlive, I mean, it'll, it'll live just as long as, as whatever they connected on lives. But he lives forever. And if we're connected on him, we don't have to worry about anything ever fizzling out. We don't have to worry about any church, this church ever uh, uh, going away. It can live on and on and on as long as the Lord tarries. The only thing is the people that are in here have to understand that our connecting point is Jesus and Jesus alone. Yeah. 
Amen? If it ever begins to be something else, it'll slowly dwindle until somebody decides that we need to back up. For two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Hebrews 10, 25, remember what it said. It said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but so much more as we see the day approaching. So it's not something that's gonna get less and less, but it'll get more and more. Now, I do believe this. I do believe our gathering together should be more about, um, how shall I say this? It should be more about quality and not quantity. Amen? I know a lot of churches that meet a lot on a lot of different things. And because they meet a lot on a lot of different things, sometimes the things they meet about are really not spiritual. They're kind of carnal. And I'm not against having a good time. We're going to have a great time Tuesday, the weather permitting, as men. And, and there is a spiritual aspect of it. But, but also there's, there's fellowship involved and, and just getting to know each other as men and connecting as men. And, and, of course, I believe that's very biblical and very spiritual. But there's some natural things in there. I mean, uh, like food. I mean, uh, that, that kind of at that point, you know, we all get connected on food. And then we try to transition in, into Jesus after that. But I think that it's more important that, that when, we, when we're together and we're gathering together that it's quality. Amen? Uh, go over to Colossians, if you will. This is very good. Colossians, the third chapter. Verse 12. We're going to kind of dissect this little section here. Colossians 3.12. Now, this is Paul writing to the church. So it's for us. It's instructions for us as the church. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Now, like I said, I want to dissect this just for a moment. Because what a wonderful picture. As, you, as we're reading this, what a, what a wonderful picture of the way every church should be. Amen? Just because someone, I mean, we have the freedom, I'm, I'm thankful for freedom of religion in America. Amen. But because of freedom of religion in America, you are free to call whatever you want to call a church. We can decide what this looks like. We can decide what this is based off of. We can decide what we like and what we don't like. We can decide what we believe and what we don't believe. We can cherry pick the Bible. We can do whatever we want to do. By American standards, we can do what we want to do. There's even some denominations or 
religions, I'd say more religions, they actually get away with things that are against the law concerning America, but because it's their religion, they can do it. And I only bring that up to say, just because a church is called a church doesn't mean God recognizes it as a church. I'll say it better. It doesn't mean God recognizes that as the church, his church, his bride. Amen? So this right here is such a wonderful picture of what every church that is under the lordship of Jesus Christ should look like. Let's go back up to verse 12. I'm just going to dissect this a little bit. First of all, he says, as the elect of God. So if we're the church, we're the elect of God, not in a haughty, prideful way, but as a matter of fact, we're the elect of God. And he says, holy and beloved. Holy and beloved. And I believe he's saying this because of the next thing he says, because we're the elect of God, because we're holy and because we're beloved, not, not, not because we're perfect, because he has made us holy through his blood. And not only that, he has loved us, not because we were lovable, but because Jesus Christ gave him the ability to love us through his blood. Amen? But because of this, we're supposed to be tender. Not the app, but tender-hearted. We're supposed to be full of mercy. We're supposed to be full of kindness. We're supposed to be full of humility and meekness. Meekness is being teachable. And we're supposed to be long-suffering. So as the elect of God, holy and beloved, we're tender, we're full of mercy, we're full of kindness, we're full of humility, we're meek, and we suffer long. We're not impatient. It goes on and says that because we're the elect because we're holy, because we're beloved, and we're operating in the tenderness of God and the mercy of God and the kindness of God and the humility and meekness and long-suffering God. Because of all that, we bear with one another. What does it mean to bear with one another? I, I believe we can put it something simple. We have supernatural patience with one another. We bear. Not grin and bear, bear. We hold out wrath. We hold out judgment. We hold out these things in belief that the love of God through us or through someone else will get to this person and help this person change their ways. But we bear with one another. You remember the story, because I'm always reminded of this story when I'm quick to judge or when I'm quick to reprimand or whatever. I'm always, I always remember this story. It's a parable, and it's about a man that owed a great debt, huge debt. And the leader of the country forgave his great debt, just forgave him, let him out of prison. 
He goes right out of there, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously. He goes right out of there, and he grabs a hold of a guy that basically owed him 20 bucks. Threatens to throw him in jail and all kinds of things. When the king found out about it, that he had just released this guy of a great debt, and then he went and tried to make this guy pay back a little small debt. He was furious, and lots of bad things happened to that guy. And I'm always, I always think about that when I'm, I'm too quick to judge or not bear with somebody. Let's just say it that way, not bear with somebody. I'm impatient. You ought to do right. You ought to do better. You ought to be better. And all of a sudden, it's like I hear the Holy Spirit go, yeah, you ought to too. You've been forgiven such a great debt, what makes you think that you need to go and collect on a debt that you think they owe you? We have to bear with one another, especially as the church, because he's talking to the church. Bear with one another, forgive one another. Watch this. If we have a complaint, how many of you ever had a complaint with somebody that's sitting in this room? Y'all just scared. Just, just raise your hand. Golly. Everybody's like, I wonder, he's probably complaining about me. <laughs> Have you ever had a complaint with somebody in your household? All right, more hands. <laughs> Watch what what the word of God says. If you have a complaint, he says to take the position of Christ. Again, I'm explaining what he said there. Take the position of Christ and forgive. He doesn't say complain. He doesn't say you go try to make it right. He says just like Christ forgave, you forgive. Even if you, you know, I'm, I'm under the impression that it, it, he brought about this, bear with one another, love one another, forgive one another, and if you got a complaint. So I'm under the impression by the wording of this that that's a legitimate complaint. It's like, it's very legitimate. Like, it's not that you're not right. But even in you being right, how many of you know that in what, who we were as sinners born, in, born into sin, God had a right to not send Jesus to die for you. There's nothing that says he had to. But he didn't take the position of, I've got a complaint against humanity. They disobeyed me, and so therefore they get what they get. Now I don't care what happens to them, I just want to be right. God is righteous. We were very wrong, very much unrighteous. But it wasn't because you were so good. It wasn't because you were so pretty. It wasn't because of who you were born to or where you were born or any of those things that made God point his righteousness towards your unrighteousness. It was his love for you that made him send his son to make you righteous. And so what he's saying is even if you've got a complaint against somebody, you don't have to go out and seek out righteousness in that matter. You need to seek out forgiveness in that matter. 
I don't like this scripture either, so quit looking at me like that. Because I want to seek out right. I want it to be right. You do the right thing to me. Because you did the wrong thing. And the whole time God's going, buddy, you did the, you did the wrongest of things. And I didn't wait for you to get right. I made you right. I made you right. So there may be people in your life, there may be people in this room right now that you're waiting on them to make it right. Stop. You make them forgiven. You make them forgiven in your heart. Now, as I've said before, it doesn't mean that you can always have the same relationship. And the reason why is because even if you forgive them, and make them right, they may have taken a wrong turn. And there may be lots of things going on in their life that you're not called to hook up to. Does that make sense? But you've got to understand that just because you can't hook up with someone, let me explain myself. One day I used the word term hook up, and all the millennials were like, oh my, it just means connect. Well, I had to explain a while ago, I meant tenderness, not tender the app, okay? Sorry, guys, if you're over a certain age, I'm getting there. I'm, I, every day, I'm getting there where I, I say stuff, and I got people, you can't say that word. Why? It's, just a, it's not a, just a word for us. But, but, but everybody's calls, you're not, you're not called to connect to. But it doesn't mean you can't forgive them. Everybody's inner circle, everybody, anybody, everybody's life, everybody's direction, you're not called to connect to. But it doesn't mean you can't forgive them. It doesn't mean that you can't be at peace in your heart knowing I'm not mad, I'm not worried. I, if they never come back and say another word, I had a complaint, but I turned that complaint into forgiveness and I gave them forgiveness. Amen? Is this Okay. Because the church is called to put on love above all, that's what Colossians said, that love keeps us bound in perfection. Let's go back and read it. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all, these things put on love which is the bond of perfection. And so when we're doing these things, and this is operating in our, in our church and in our life, and we're putting on love above everything, then it's gonna, it's gonna keep us bound in perfection. Not that everybody is going to be perfect, but we're bound in perfection. Meaning that, that, that even though we've got some things that are just, because humans are involved, it's, it's, it's not always perfect perfect naturally, God sees a bond of perfection because we're putting on the right thing. We're putting on love. Does that make sense? There's a, you know, you guys take your marriages, for example. How many of you 
Listen, don't lie today just to get brownie points. How many of you have the perfect spouse? I'm not saying perfect for you. I'm saying every single day they do the right thing 24-7. If you raise your hand, I'm calling you up here for prayer because you're a liar. You're a suck-up is what you are. No. No. But think about this. If you've got a spouse that doesn't always do the right thing, but their heart is always in the right place, there's a bond of perfection, right? They may do the wrong thing, they may say the wrong thing, but you know their heart, and you know they love you, and you love them, and so we messed up. And yeah, maybe I got aggravated or whatever, but, but this, this thing is this thing's perfect. I'm not meaning to brag, but mine and my wife's marriage is perfect. You say, don't say that. The calamity is going to come. No, I didn't say we were always perfect towards each other, but I know she loves me and I love her, and there is, there's never been a day that I tried to do something to purposely hurt her or walk out of love towards her. And her the same. Has she made mistakes? Loads. No, just a few. <laughs> Have I made mistakes? Loads. But I think what keeps her from coming down on me as knowing he made a mistake, but he didn't do that on purpose. He loves me too much to do that on purpose. And so when we're putting on, above all, we're putting on the love of God towards each other as a church, we can have mistakes and there can be imperfections. But because the one thing that we can't be imperfect on is walking in love. Because when we start to become, become selfish as a church, and everything begins to be how it affects me and my family, and you know, they didn't say this right, and you know, they didn't do this right, and what did they mean by that? Listen, you don't have a church problem, you have an attitude problem. You have a heart problem. You don't love, you're wanting to consume, and everything's got to be perfect for you. But if we're walking in love to, to, towards God and towards each other, we're bound in perfection. And when you have a church walking in, in the bond of perfection, watch what happens after that. But above all else, uh, these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Watch this. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Because the church is called to put on love above all, that love keeps us in the bond of perfection. If there's not peace in a church, it's because there are people or a person that is probably majorly controlling that place that is not walking in love. The peace of God should be in rule here and in our hearts. Amen. And as one body, we are all called to pursue and do our part to keep peace in this place and amongst us. This pursuit of peace produces thankfulness. The word of Christ, it goes on to say, the word of Christ dwelling, or we could say living here richly, it says in all wisdom, in teaching, and this is interesting because it says admonishing one another. Well, admonishing, this is what admonishing means. I think this is so interesting. I, I don't know why I haven't really ever seen this. I've always read this scripture, but I've always focused on the Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs part. 
But it says admonishing. Let me read it right out of here. Uh, and it says, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and, it, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So admonishing literally means to warn and reprimand firmly. Well, when you think about admonishing, I don't, it doesn't come to my mind that you're going to admonish me in song. You know, I mean, if, you're, if your parents ever said, hey, you're in trouble, come in here, and they broke out in a song and a dance to reprimand you. But instantly when I read that, it was like the Lord just shown something on that and said, and said, doesn't that always happen? And I'm like, what? He said, how many times have you been listening to a psalm or, or reading a psalm or you've been listening or singing a hymn or you've been singing a spiritual song, meaning something that the Lord just kind of gave revelation and it corrected something in your heart that was not right before. God's so good that even when he reprimands us, he does it in poetry or song form. Why? Because that goes straight to our heart. Because it opens our heart. Man, just like the song we sang this morning, if you're unthankful about where you're at in life and you start singing the goodness of God, doesn't it correct something on the inside of you? Lord, you have been faithful. You might be going through a time where you're like, God, God, why aren't you doing what you said you're going to do in my life? But all of a sudden you start singing that faithfulness of God and, there, and there's something naturally in your head and say, I don't know how faithful he has been. But as you sing that, all of a sudden all the faithful moments in, in your life that God has brought in your life, you start remembering those things. You start going, yes, God, you've been faithful. God, you've been good to me. God, you've delivered me. You've been too good to me. You've been good to me in times where you shouldn't have been good to me. Even in his reprimanding. The Bible says he leads us to repentance by his goodness. And this all happens the way that, that the writer of Hebrews says it happens when we are interacting with each other properly as the local church. And I think, unfortunately, the opposite is true when we're operating in naturalistic, selfish motives, consuming motives. And God can never get this process working because everybody is just so concerned about, do I have to be here? What's the point? Why am I here? Why are we doing this? They need help in the nursery again. They need help here again. They're taking up another offering. What in the world? I could be doing better things today. You know, there's, there's something that I, I really wanted to do today. My wife told me I had to be there. You're missing the point. Completely missing the point and you're shortchanging yourself of the beauty of what it means to be connected to the body. If it wasn't for you in this church and loads of other people, I would not be here. And we all were connected to Jesus through the church. Amen? Well, again, I didn't get all the way through my message this morning, but there's always next week. Amen? Let's stand up on our feet. I want to thank you for listening. 
We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you would like to help us increase our outreach, please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so that we can bring the Word of God to friends and family near you. Don't forget you can check out our location, other podcasts and service times, on our website at woftx.com. If you're in the East Texas area, we'd love for you to stop by and join in for one of our services. We're glad you chose our podcast. Be blessed. We'll see you next time.